Welcome to Trina Talk. This is the podcast where guests share their stories of pursuing their passions, living a fulfilled life, and empowering others. Each week, I talk with inspiring leaders, business owners, and people with amazing stories from around the world in unscripted conversations as they share their successes and failures. This podcast is all about empowering you to keep striving in your personal and professional life. I am your host, Trina L. Martin. Hey, welcome to another episode. If you're listening, go ahead and go out and subscribe so that you won't miss any future episodes. Also, if you like the show, give us a five-star review That way we can move up in the rankings and other people can find the show and be impacted and inspired just like you. Are you a woman of color in tech who feels stuck because you don't see people who look like you? You lack support from someone who truly understands your journey and you want to overcome the obstacles that you're facing in the tech industry? If you want to elevate your pay, become a leader in your company, and be noticed by colleagues and executives to advance in your career, then Tech Trifecta is for you. It's my three-month private coaching program, and it's now open. Only a limited number of women are going to be accepted. So apply today at tlmintl.link forward slash Tech Trifecta. This week, my guest is Terry Short. Terry is a human potential developer and has been a coach in some capacity her entire career. She has more than 30 years of leadership experience, a master's in business administration, healthcare management, and her professional coach certification. Through coaching, speaking, and facilitating, she has inspired countless staff, senior leaders, physicians, and middle managers to connect to their why and to harness the power of empathy and personal relationships. She excels in assessing complex situations, challenges, and helping others break them down with clarity into actionable steps. Hi, Terry. Welcome to Trina Talk. Hello, Trina. I'm happy to be here. Happy to have you here with me. Um, You are doing some amazing things. I know you're an author, you're a coach, but usually before I get into all of that, I like to ask my guests to tell the listeners who you are. And what made you the Terry that you are today? Mm, so complicated. It's <laughs> taken so many years. <laughs> yeah, I I am proud to say that I am a human potential developer. That's what I like to do. I like to bring out the best in people. And how I got here is little bumps and little falling into cracks along the way and learning to be a leader. And it start, started at a very young age. And I, I think to myself, if I can help others boost that potential that they have, I, I want to have at it. That's what I want to do. So that's who I am. So how did you come to be? I mean, because, you know, of course, there's any and every type of coach, but you said you're the human potential developer. What made you decide to become that? Right. Well, I have, since I was really young, have been a coach in some capacity or another, particularly in leadership early on in Four Seasons Hotels. And I mean, if we go all the way back, I was managed a, a 
a snack bar at the pool. <laughs> you know, I just mm-hmm. like came out of basically came out of the womb as a leader, it seems. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and then I transitioned into healthcare and all along in my leadership roles, I prided myself on taking people under my wing and in coaching them. And and there's such joy in that. And I I I found joy in it. And as I went, I thought, oh my gosh, if I ask the right questions and I dig just a little deeper, I can help this person blossom. I can bring out the best in them. And I started having fun doing that and then eventually became a coach and, um, you know, I'd got certified as a coach and such, and then really uh, jumped into owning that and owning my ability to do that. And I Nothing makes me happier than to not just bring out the brilliance of others and the the potential that might be hidden within someone, but once they shine, helping them see that they can thrive in that place and that they can find joy in leading others. And that that seems to be falling by the wayside in the you know in the past year or so. You know, um, yes, and I was just making note of that. But as far as like you said you know, leadership and bringing out the best in people and actually seeing people and saying, you know, I can help them and I can work with them. I find that people who are leaders, well, in leadership positions, that's not their objective when it should be. Yeah, no, this is true. Yeah, it, and yeah. it's it's amazing because I have looked in my career and looked at the so-called leaders that were in where I was serving in companies and I was just like, really, how did you get this position? You know, I've even had leaders to so, you know, go so far as like to degrade me. And I'm thinking, okay, so do you think that's going to make me want to work harder? (laughs) Right. Right. That's right. And it, it's, it's born out of not enough training, not enough coaching for these leaders, right? They just, they get into the role sometimes by happenstance or, you know, being the the warm body to fill in at a, during a, a shift or, you know, I was in healthcare for a while and that's always how the charge nurses got to be charge nurses. The phone rings on Sunday night and they, they were an excellent nurse, top of their, top of their game as far as a nurse and the phone rings on Sunday night and the charge nurse is unable to come in on Monday. Can you do it? And the next thing you know, they're a charge nurse, right? Um, Jumping right in sort of by fire. And so that's why, I mean, I started my initial training business in 1995 um, by because of recognizing that that deficit in the in the training, particularly of the young leaders and those that are just getting started. But to your point, once the person's in, they can be a runaway train, and next thing you know, they've been a leader for decades yes. <laughs> and still ha- still don't have those great skills. And so the good news is, we see many more people turning to coaching, mm-hmm. and organizations turning to offering coaching, and uh, so that's that's of benefit. I think that that's a new. It used to be the coaches were just for the top executives, and now that's been that's been more democratized. Let's say, which I think so, is fantastic. So, do you work with corporations to help them when they're not only the executives, but when they're looking to put people in leadership positions? Yep, a lot of entry level leaders or you know new leaders. So, I my kind of run the gambit gambit of um, uh, entry level, so new new people managers, right? Mm. And so that's an interesting thing to me, particularly, and I've done a lot of work recently in tech and fintech, Mm -hmm. financial technology, and and 
there's much more thought being put into it. So there's the the engineer who excels at being an engineer. I mean, that's just what they went to school for. That's what they love. And then they get that call to say, do you want to be senior executive, such and such engineer, or do you want to go down the track to be a people manager? And that's a big choice. So I end up, I have some people right now that I'm coaching that are making that choice or have recently made that choice, actually. And what I speak to them about is what brought them joy in being an individual contributor when they mm-hmm. were when they were doing the frontline work. And now let's talk about how they can how they can find the joy in others doing that frontline work because that's what it ends up being, right? So the others are going to they what they want now or should want is for those others to be doing their best possible work and their job is to inspire that Right. is to inspire and 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 uh, give them the best opportunity possible and bring out their brilliance like same sort of thing now they're in the business mm-hmm. of helping those other people shine wow you know that's so true and with me being a naval officer and in leadership and been in leadership for so long you know you're like speaking my language we could go off on a total tangent with this, because this is something that I am passionate about as well, because I have had good leaders, but I've had more poor leaders than I have good. And it's just so, it's so interesting. Like you said, you get the person who was the good widget maker. And then because they were the good widget maker, now they're, you know, you know, widget maker manager, you know, right. And you're going, okay, why, why are you in this position? And, and and then you find out that they got the position because they were yeah, the best in that position at that time. So somebody just said, OK, by default, here you go. But no one ever trained them on how to properly be a leader. Or you find that people are in management. I like to say management, not leadership, because there's a totally different thing. But you find people who are there because they're self-serving. So it's not so much as they're trying to inspire other people. It's like. Okay, I got the office, I got the title, I can tell people what to do, and that's it. So tell me, how do you work with these people? Do you get people like that, or are you getting people who, like you said, are entry level before they even get corrupted, so to speak? Yeah, it's an excellent question. I actually would venture to say that those who have climbed up the ranks in the self-serving uh, scheme of things like that's mm-hmm. been their mo. They don't seek coaching, right? Because in their mind, they don't need coaching. Mm-hmm. So I don't, you know, I've rarely come across that kind of person where, you know, if someone gets to that place where I know it all, I've got it all, you know, they're not gonna, they're not paying for an executive coach. So right. seldom is that the case. Now that said, when I was in the corporate world and I was coaching, so I was embedded. I was mm-hmm. in an organization, right? And I was coaching, I was sent out to coach. Um, That's a whole different thing because then, um, you know, sometimes, unfortunately, that's seen as punitive, like you have to have a coach because, yeah. And I've I've done that actually with physicians where there are physicians that um, got themselves in a little bit of trouble with how they spoke to patients and team members and such. And my, one of my expertises is communication coaching. And so I, 
I would come to coach. And it unfortunately, and hopefully this is changing, but unfortunately for a while there, having a coach assigned to you was like a, a bad thing. Right. <laughs> you know, like so that I was then I was perceived as the bad guy initially. But so that but that's that's becoming more and more rare. Yeah. Yeah. And I think so because I think now because um being a coach and getting coaching is so you know, so chic now, you know, it's like something everybody wants to do. Like, oh, I have a coach, you know, it's, it's almost like saying I have a therapist, you know, remember the time when you wouldn't tell anybody <laughs> I went to a therapist or counseling. So now I realize, yeah, I got a therapist. Um, but it's just, it's so amazing. So what I like to always ask people, what I'm interested with you is before you got into this journey of, okay, this is how I can really help people. And this is my business. What did you see along your journey in corporate America or wherever? And what made you really decide that, okay, this is my passion and I can do this better to really have an impact? Well, I saw a deficit, but I saw the deficit through the eyes of a woman. Mm. And so early on in my career, I was the only skirt at the board table and, um, and of course, just like a lot of young women, I thought, well, first I thought, this ain't right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's the first thing I thought. And the second thing I thought was, I'm going to change that. And so, Trina, to be fair, I I believe now in retrospect, I went around about it all wrong. I, mm-hmm. I wanted to um, be heard and I wanted to, you know, insert my opinion and, you know, speak up at the board table because I had something to say and um, gosh, darn it, you're going to see me <laughs> type mm-hmm. of thing. Right. And then I realized it took a while. It took some maturity to realize and a mentor that was good about telling me, you know, gosh, you know, you didn't, I, I was, I became abrasive, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, and I, in my, in order to fit in and, you know, have my voice heard and I didn't need to do that. And so he was eventually telling me, Hey, you know, we hear you and you mm-hmm. know, you're, it's okay. And it was just still me almost acting out. I guess is what I'd say to, to be heard and such. And then once I settled into um, a better understanding of how my voice could be more effective by way of the words that I chose, by way of when and what I said that I could have more influence, that, that sort of clicked with me. Mm. And I thought, huh. And then once that clicked and I, I started to learn how to be a better leader, how to recognize others more effectively and such. Once I started to really feel into that, I thought, huh, it would be good to help others, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, in the same way, men and women. As they know, there was a while then I thought, gosh, maybe I should just coach men. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Maybe I should help, help them see how they're minimizing the voice of the woman at the table mm-hmm. or, you know, this or that. And then, you know, eventually I didn't need to hold on to fixing everything in the, with our, our male counterparts. Right. Yeah. And it, it, like they say, experience is always the best teacher, right? So you going through it and seeing the deficit and what needed it to happen, you saw how you could really have an impact and, and really change things. And you mentioned something um, as far as about the words you use. And I want to go deeper with that because it, it, it does matter, right? How you say things. So tell, tell the listeners ab- about that and how you speak and the words that you use. 
Well, if, if I may, I'll lead with, I wrote a whole book about it. Okay. <laughs> so, so the book is um, The Words We Choose, Your Guide to How and Why Words Matter. Mm. And in the book, I, I start talking about the word you choose for yourself. You know what I call that? Your personal podcast. Mm. Okay. Right? So everybody's got their headsets on, earbuds in, and they're listening to podcasts every day. The reality is we're listening to our personal podcast too, sometimes 24-7. And it starts with the, the words you choose for that voice. And do those words minimize you? Do they hold you up or limit you in any way? And then there's the the external voices that you hear. And they and you as the as the narrator and the producer and director of that podcast, you decide if those if your mother comes on today, right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> right, or your ex boss or whomever. And so, so having more control over that, I like to say the voice is a choice. And so, starting with the words that you choose for yourself, and then and and this is actually how the book goes, and then it goes from there into sort of family and loved ones, the world at large, and then work. So I, I believe very strongly that that all builds upon itself. How you show up at work is representative of what else has gone on in your life. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, um, and I think not only for work, I think that's important in your personal life as well. How you say things, you know, whether it's to your children, your spouse, whatever, mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's not what you say is how you say it, because you can say something that, um, could really help someone, but if you say it in a negative or condescending way or degrading, it's not really helping. Um, so I think that's very important. And and today, what are you seeing in the landscape of today, like before the pandemic and now, as far as with leaderships and how and how they're leading? Because I'm pretty sure you've seen a change from po- pre-pandemic to now. What are you seeing? Yeah, well, I actually, I'll tie that right back to the word choices. And it, and I've, I've seen an absolute change in this. So for example, since, since this all went down in March of 2020, um, I'm going to talk to you about a couple of words that I've seen more and more. So the word if. So more people saying, if we return to the office, if we get to travel to Europe, you know, if we're able to do this and this instead of when, you know, mm. so they've, they've inserted uncertainty. And even in the workplace, if we're ever able to do this again, if that, whereas if I'm, if, if I'm the leader and I say when we return to the office or when um, we get together the next time, and I, I speak in much more hopeful, um, confident terms when I switch from if to when, much more but, like, so same sort of thing where people, it's never been a good thing for people to offer but, 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 but truncates and severs the conversation. It stops sort of whatever went before. And the word and extends and and affirms whatever went before. And so that's what I'm starting to see or have been seeing over this past year. A lot more buts, (laughs) a lot more ifs, and those types of, um, I don't know, I want to say uncertain words, uncertain Mm -hmm. sort of iffy, iffy type words. Wow. So um, with your coaching and, and your leadership, are you finding that this time has played differently on people that you're coaching as far as how they want to improve? Uh, 
how they want to improve, but how they're going to improve. Okay. Like they, I believe they still want to improve, but the there's a layer of uncertainty. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about, is that there's a layer of uncertainty about that improvement and and the the chaos of constant change and such. So that's what I'm seeing is that uncertainty and it comes out in the word uses. I mean, I hear leaders, I'll be looking like I'm looking at you in the camera right now. And the leader will say, I think we'll be able to da 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 da. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, when will you be sure? <laughs> <laughs> or th- these are the minimizing type words. Well, I'm pretty sure we're going to be able to do what pretty, I'm pretty sure, but just be sure. Don't be sure. So I just feel that the, the desires there, there's just been a lot more uncertainty. And so it's playing out in how we communicate with each other. So going back to the word thing, is it that people are saying things like if, and, but, because they are uncertain or is it because we've heard that being used in a certain way? So we just kind of say it kind of thinking, well, okay, if this blah, 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 because sometimes I find myself doing that. It's not that Mm -hmm. I'm uncertain, but it's like, well, you know, I'll say it this way because I guess sometimes you don't want to just say it in the positive because you don't want people thinking, oh, well, she just, you know, she's sure that's going to happen. What are your thoughts on yeah, that? Yeah, no, that's an excellent point. Um, yeah, I I see leaders do that too. They Even when they say, I think, they want to offer, I think, because they don't want to be the definitive on it, right? right. So they're, you know, it's a, sort of the gray space or the gray area. I'm just a proponent. It could be a reflection of my, the, the, journey that I had as a leader, I'm a a proponent of being intentional, being intentional. And so take that, take that pause, think about the impact you really want your words to to have, or your intention with the person that you're speaking to, and then choose the words wisely. So I think that's what's happened. See, I'm saying it. I think that's what's happened. (laughs) I believe that that's what has happened is that the the general uncertainty that's out there is manifesting itself in leaders, people in general, but leaders offering even more uncertain words than they may have a couple of years ago, where they may have shown up with more confidence and more certainty, more surety in how they're speaking to others and what they're, what they're saying. Wow. And maybe that's what you're saying. You know, maybe you're hedging a little bit more than you did two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I can, I can totally see that. So when you're saying you're helping people like the executives and leaders and you're helping them, um, do you have like actionable steps that you go through? Can you share a couple with us of how you start out the coaching and the things that you do to kind of help people get on the path that they need to follow? Yeah. So first of all, I think that I talk about there are six personas of a thriving leader, and I'm going to share those. So ambassador of the culture. So where there are things that one does to represent the culture well. Leader as coach. So how are you doing? um, How are you being as a coach? What do your one-on-ones look like? How are you developing your team? And I'll dig a little deeper into that in a second. Being a continual change agent and or what I also call a chaotic expert, where you're taking the chaos and providing some order. 
life integrator. So are you somebody as a leader who really values a life work balance? And there are ways that you go about that. Being emotionally and intuitively intelligent. And there, that's needed very much so now. I mean, I, if there's not a conversation going on in the workplace about that, but about being emotionally and intuitively intelligent, then the, the exponential growth of your leadership team is going to be stymied, let's say. And then last but not least, being a productive and proactive juggler of, of all your time, right? So when I go back to leader as coach to answer your question, I spend a lot of time, Trina, talking to people about being a better coach. So when I when I drill down on that, let's just say the one-on-ones. And everybody says, oh, yeah, I do one-on-ones. And mm-hmm. somebody does them once a week, once every other week, once a month, what have you. So once we get the right cadence and amount of time down, it's what's going on in those one-on-ones. And what's interesting is that there's so much people come to the table and say, well, you know, it's an update. I get an update and such. I go, well, well, wait a minute. You're not being a coach if you're not peeling back the layers of that person's potential and what's important to them here and now. So how do you do that? So you ask better probing questions, Mm -hmm. questions that start with what, how, or tell me. Mm -hmm. So often we ask yes, no questions. Are you going to meet that deadline? Is this on track? Are we tracking to, you know, have this completed? And the person might say, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no. And you think, oh, great one-on-one. I have an update. What do you really have? Do you know what's important to that individual? Have you peeled back the layers of what's keeping them up at night? Mm. And therefore, you're filling in the gaps of additional training or assistance or resources that they need. So questions that start with what, how, and tell me. And it and steering away from why, which is Mm -hmm. interesting because, you know, and I did a lot of lean training and in lean Mm -hmm. and Six Sigma, you're trained to ask why six times all that, you know that from the Mm -hmm. military, I'm sure. Um, The thing about why is that it potentially casts judgment. So when you said earlier um, in the podcast about um, it's how you say things, sometimes Mm -hmm. it's how you say things too. You might ask, we might, absolutely want to know why something, you know, somebody did something or why they voted for this person or why anything. The minute you say why, it's possible that the person thinks you're judging them. Mm. Okay. Right. And so instead saying, tell me about your choice to vote for this person or to make that decision or what's important to you in, um, you know, in this choice, or how did you come to that decision? You know, tell me, tell me about your value, what you value, mm-hmm. or how that speaks to that, or whatever. Any way that I'm going off on a tangent now with an individual, but when you're speaking to your direct report, asking what and how about the work gets you really to the meat of it. So mm. that's a that's an example that I have. Very interesting, and it, it makes. Absolute sense. I, I actually see that in um, because, yeah, you, if you're a coach or a leader, you're not going to just say, yeah, asking questions that are just yes or no, because that's what you're going to get. Yes or no. And you really haven't learned anything and been able to actually provide advice or whatever you you have to to get to that. But I'm, I'm looking at your your six personas of a thriving leader. Now, 
I'm just I I just where you're going through them. I was going, wow, you know who, you know, somebody needs to teach this because this is not (laughs) this is not a thing that people are learning as leaders because, you know, life balance, emotional and intuitive, Um, just things like that. How, first of all, when you're working with corporations, you know, and you're, I'm pretty sure you go in and you ask them like, okay, what is your uh, training process or courses, whatever you have when you're promoting people. I don't find that people are going through these things. It's like, okay, let's go through the metrics. Let's do the bean counting, how many widgets were made. And that's your leader. So when you're telling, going through these six things with people who are currently in leadership positions, I'm just curious, tell me how they react when you tell them that these are the things that they should be doing. Well, yeah, it's, here's the thing is that what you described is exactly what happens. It's like off the shelf, like we'll have this now and we'll have this training now, or we'll have diversity and inclusion Mm -hmm. now we'll have this, you know, whatever. And this is what I'm talking about is like whole picture, comprehensive, you know, really to be thriving as a leader and no, nobody my knowledge, no one coaches this kind of as comprehensively. And um, yeah, so it's a big job. And I, right now, um, I'm actually working with a group to provide retreats, because I also find that it's not a one and done, you know, it's these types of things are it's immersive. It's immersive. And you've got to go in, you've got to spend a few days mm-hmm. going deeper and truly understanding the, the, the things, the six that I rattled off to you, each one has, I don't know, 10, 12 key components under it as well. And mm-hmm. um, all things that one should consider. And a leader, a typical leader might go, oh, okay. Um, under continual change agent, they might say, oh, communicating with clarity. Yep, I've got that. I do well at that. <laughs> I leverage goal setting. Yep, that's a strong suit. So they might be able to go in and say, here's what I'm naturally very good at. But out of all of it, you know, the entire list, mm-hmm. here's where I need to focus. And that's actually how I do my one-on-one coaching. Like, here's mm-hmm. here's the whole big picture. How do we narrow down, narrow in and focus on what you really need? And how do we leverage your existing strengths to pull you towards um, the other areas that you're that you're interested in improving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they're very important, and especially the life balance, especially now, right? Because we're totally in a different environment than we've ever been in before. Um, people are not wanting to go back to work. People, just life has changed for everyone, and yeah. I think a lot of employers are slowly realizing that if they haven't already. Um, Because I think this whole pandemic has brought out a lot and everyone as far as, you know, mental um, stresses and stressors that they have been going through with, you know, being sick, losing loved ones or the job, just the whole thing. I think we have all just kind of been stretched to our capacity And when you have a job or a a manager, boss, leader, whatever you want to call it, that does not understand that and it's pushing those buttons, I think you find people now are reacting in ways they probably would never have. Mm -hmm. 
Absolutely. And here's the, the catch there is that that sense of balance is different for everybody. Right. It's different for me than it is for you. And mm-hmm. so the, the astute leader asks those probing questions to understand what balance looks and feels like to you. Right. And to the next person and to the next person, because it's different for everybody. And to your point about the, um, the pandemic, everybody got off balance. They were like, mm-hmm. there was nobody like, Rrr. stop the car, stop the train. There is no balance. We're all teetering here. Right. Right. So the teetering, just as it started to level out and people were kind of getting into some sort of groove, then return to work. work. We're going to become unbalanced again. So a, a leader's job is to honor what that change does to one sense of balance. And then again, probe deeper, ask those probing questions to understand what balance looks and feels like now, now that we're returning to the office half the time or mm-hmm. <laughs> whatever mm-hmm. it is now, what's it look like? And, uh, and what can, what adjustments can be made to help with that balance? To be honest, Trina, I see some organizations, some of the bigger, I, I coach a, more than a handful in fortune 500 companies, mm-hmm. leaders in fortune 500 companies. And some of the, particularly the tech companies mm-hmm. are doing a phenomenal job at honoring the, the teetering, okay. so the opposite of balancing, the teetering that happens now that there's a new transition, just okay. as there was a transition to work from home, there's a transition to hybrid or to whatever. And they're really, maybe, maybe because people learned from that transition early on when we went to work from home, mm-hmm. there's much I perceive much more of a sense of honoring the effect of that teetering and how we can help individuals get back to their own sense of balancing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it does take an astute leader to realize that what's going on. And like you said, it's different for everyone. Everyone's, you know, different in what they need that's going to help them um, cope and, and be productive. And it's funny because I had this manager who was a new manager and honestly, he was one of these that I think got the position (laughs) by default, but he used to always say, yeah, you know, policy says that, yeah, if you're 15 minutes late, you're supposed to take, you know, your, your vacation time. And he was proud to know that, but then he would say, but nobody does that. And I'm thinking, well, why would you even bring that up? I mean, are you happy to, to, to know that? And then, you know, I just told him one day, I was like, you know what? If you want to make me take my vacation time for being 15 minutes late, guess what? When you need somebody to work late on that project, it's not going to be me. Mm-hmm. Because if you're going to be that kind of bean counter, then I'm going to be like, uh, nope, sorry, it's five o'clock, got to go home. So, I w- you know, I was just wondering, I was like, why does he keep saying that? And does he realize that things like that are the things that you make people not want to go that extra mile for you. Absolutely. And had he dug deeper, he might've found out what causes you to be 15 minutes late. Is there an imbalance? Is there something going on in your life that is important that he should know about that, that he could help with that causes that in the first place. So, you know, if, if the, Again, an astute leader who had those skills would have been able to dig dig a little bit deeper and mm-hmm. meet you where you were, right. meet you where you were. And you're right that I call that 
um, what you're talking about and going above and beyond. I call that discretionary effort. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's what it is. It's discretionary. I don't have to do it. right? Right. So one's, I believe there's a correlation between one's discretionary effort and how they're treated, like you're talking about, how they're acknowledged, how they're recognized, and and also how their contribution ties to their personal values, and that's tied to the the values of the organization. The more that there's a um, a connection between personal values and and the work values, that you're in a better place, right? So when all those things align, then the person goes, oh, discretionary effort. (laughs) I'm going to give it freely because that alignment is happening for me. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, my goodness. Well, you need to go out and (laughs) tell all of these companies about this because, yeah, they just don't get it. And, you know, it's, it's amazing how many big, big companies, big corporations that you like, oh, you just don't get it you know, everything is kind of a mess here. And you're like, how did you get to be this? You know, you're a a multi-billion dollar company, but yet this is how you operate. Yeah. So funny, funny story that you say that when I, early on in my career, when I first started my business, I, I specialized in very, very high-end resorts. And so I'd go to these high, the highest end resorts. I'm not going to drop any names here, but across the country. And I'd go and I'd do a secret shopper, you know, first for, you know, a couple of days, sometimes a week, use all the services, spa, everything. And then I had, my kids were young at the time. So that was a real happy thing. I was like, mommy's going to the spa. (laughs) (laughs) I'd do my report. And then I would set about creating their plan and, you know, what it was that, um, that I would do for them and the consulting and coaching that I would do. Trina, I sometimes I wanted to say at the end of the report, you should lock the doors. <laughs> P.S. Please lock the doors and I'll be back. Right, <laughs> you know? right. And then the same thing happened. Then I transitioned into healthcare. I get into healthcare. I go to some, you know, some of the most regarded organizations in this country. And you basically, you know, you look under the hood mm-hmm. and you get under there. I had that same feeling. I thought, you know, people would say, well, what, what do you think we should do? And I had to stop myself from saying, Lock the, door. the doors. <laughs> a complete reset here. <laughs> that's what I recommend. I mean, it's not, I've many, many times in my career, that's been my pervading, prevailing thought. You know, but how, how does a company get to that point? Is it that they never knew it or do they kind of just eventually fall into that? I think it's a, it's a combination. I think there's mm-hmm. one too many people that didn't know or have right. still don't know how to be great leaders. Mm-hmm. And, and then it, it becomes part of the culture and it just sort of, it's spirals, you know, yeah. kind of out of control and yeah, it's a head scratcher. It's a head scratcher. <laughs> for <me. laughs> Yeah. I love that. Always has the doors. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I did. So I thought I better not type that at the bottom. Please lock the doors. I'll be yeah. back. <laughs> yeah, don't don't just lock them. Put a padlock on them. Because <laughs> you guys are, yeah, you shouldn't be in. So, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's amazing. Like I said, I can talk to you forever about this because this is like one of my passions as well. And just being a leader, I don't, you know, there's just so many people who don't know what that means. Um, they don't mm-hmm. take it as being an inspiration to others. You know, I think they just use it as, I'm the czar, so I'm going to tell you what to do when you really should be trying to inspire people, which is going to make them 
want to do what you need them to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I really, really love what you're doing. And I really hope that, you know, you can get out there everywhere. Because uh, yeah. I've seen some, yeah, lock the door, yeah, <laughs> lock yeah. the door type of things. You know what, what brings me joy is when the leader who's come up, who's, who got the phone call on Sunday and now they're a leader, right? And they've come about it and they've, they know, they know in their heart of hearts that they're not doing well by their people. They really do, right? On some level. So they might be just sort of getting by and it's a joyless job and they're going about it. Well, when they finally get it and they understand how they can inspire and influence others, like you said, what they're supposed to be doing, when that, when that they're exposed to that through coaching typically or some leadership program, when that opens up for them, then they go, ah, oh. <laughs> yeah, then that's what makes me the happiest yeah. is that they're, so there is hope, you know, there <laughs> is hope and sort of one leader at a time, you know? <laughs> but it, that's the that sort of rebirthing of the leader, if you will, that they now are going to go back. And and sometimes I have people ask me, well, hmm, if I go and I start doing my one-on-ones like this, or if I hold my team meetings like this or whatever, they're going to think I'm nuts because, you know, because they've been doing it right this other way for so mm-hmm. long. And they're you're like, how do I, how do I transition into the, like kind of the new me? Right. <laughs> it's a fair enough question. You know, yeah. if they've been going at it a certain way and now they want to, um, broaden their leadership skills. So, yeah. so yeah. Now do you now do you find many people who actually realize that they're not good leaders? Do you actually have people that come to you or is it because someone has made them come to you? Okay. It's a great question. So sometimes they've made them come. That again, that doesn't happen as often anymore, but sometimes more so what it is, is they think they're a good leader and they're like, oh, I'm going to get some coaching. I'll be even a better leader, but I'm already a good leader. And as we go through um, the conversations, as as I ask those probing questions and peel back the layers and then, you know, tell me more about that. And then we go deeper that that's when they get the aha. That's when they yeah. go, oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, well, maybe it wasn't good, as good at this as I thought I was, right? And that's when they start exploring the, the six personas, the different things that are out there for them to be a great leader. And mm. so it doesn't, it usually evolves, I guess is what I'd say. They, okay. the, through the interaction, they kind of get that, um, that aha moment, that head slap where they go, hmm, some different ways for me to approach going about this, right? Yeah. Well, like I said, you're doing God's work because <laughs> I see <laughs> I've seen some horrible places and I'm just like, woohoo, wow. Yeah, you should have somebody to come in and help you out because, yeah. But all right, Terry, are you ready for our questions? Ready. Okay. So good. I'm glad you didn't give me that look of fear because a lot of people give me that look of fear and I'm going, it's going to be okay. (laughs) It's going to be okay. I'm just basically always ready, Trina. So (laughs) I love that. Yeah. (laughs) Always ready. Okay. Who or what motivates you? Hmm. the what is really getting people to that place of self-realization, like who they can be, what they can be. That really motivates me. What demotivates you? People not having um, faith in themselves. So I always say, if, if you believe that you can't, you're right. Mm. (laughs) So that's that 
demotivates me. It frustrates me when somebody is holding on to limiting beliefs. Mm. When was a time that something was said or done to hurt you, but it worked for your good? Mm. I love that one. It always works for my good. <laughs> it's like that is a, that is something that I coach all the time. When something happens and you think it's the worst possible thing, take the learning, take mm-hmm. the learning. So I have to go with um, some things that my mother has said to me. And I'll tell you that I got my book published last year. My mother said, what do you know about writing a book? Hmm. You can't write a book. And I did it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. I love those type of moments. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, what is your fear? Hmm. Well, I guess my fear right now is like, and you're, you've been very encouraging about this is that I won't, I won't reach enough people, you know, that I won't reach it when you're saying, you know, you're doing God's work and, you know, get out there. It's always my fear that, that there are people for whatever reason I won't connect with or haven't connected with that, um, that I would like to. Mm. Is there a time? When you wish you had done something that you didn't. There is, it's kind of a silly thing. And it's only going to tell you this one because I'm right here right now. I'm back in Monterey, California. And for the listeners who know Carmel, California, when I was in my mid twenties, I passed this little cottage right on the beach and it was $275,000 and I didn't buy it. <laughs> and I just walked by it again yesterday. Yeah. And it's probably much. <laughs> two point something million dollars. Either. Oh man. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't, I have very few regrets in my life and they're just silly things like that where I just go, wait, what was I thinking? Yeah. That, yeah, that would have been a good investment. Um, is there a time that you wish you had not done something? not done something. Yeah. You know, I'm going to go with, there have been a couple of times with my kids, they're 24 and 25 and I'm getting so much better at this, but there have been times where I've offered advice unsolicited and the, basically the way this has worked with one, sometimes both of my kids is when I say black, they do mm-hmm. white <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. whatever. and there are times where I just go, yeah, I shouldn't have offered. I shouldn't have offered. I shouldn't have offered unsolicited advice. And I yeah. repeat that to myself all the time. So mm-hmm. the constant. Yeah. What is your definition of success? Bringing out the brilliance of, I'm going to go with a million leaders. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to have to start counting. Yeah, I hope you do. How do you recharge? Hmm. I meditate every day. Mm. And so that recharge has to happen every day. Um, I, you can probably already tell I'm high energy. I always mm-hmm. have been. And um, so I meditate every day. I'm an incredible nap taker. That only happens once or twice a week. <laughs> Take this. I've perfected the 17 minute nap um, and I get, yeah. And I get good rest at night. So that's how I recharge. Okay. What are you awesome at? I want to say I'm awesome at communicating. I mean, I would certainly hope so since I wrote a book about it and that's what I coach. (laughs) So I believe that I am, I want to go further and say I'm awesome at helping others communicate better. Okay. 
what legacy do you want to leave? Hmm. Well, Tom Kenyon says we are we create we are creating the world by how we speak to each other. And I want to leave that kind of legacy that, you know, to, to each person listening and to all the people I coach, yours is the voice of humankind. Mm-hmm. So use it well. So that's what I feel my legacy is. Wow. So tell the listeners how they can connect with you. Tell us about your book, how they can purchase that. And if they want to work with you. Thank you. It's Terry spelled T-E-R-R-E at shortgroup.net is the best way to reach me. And my book is called The Words We Choose, Your Guide to How and Why Words Matter. It's on all the online um, outlets and such. And it's also a, um, you know, downloadable on Kindle and such. And I've actually just started with uh, an offshoot of, of my company. I've collaborated with a few other gals and we've created the Thriving Leader Collaborative. And that's it's under that umbrella that we'll be offering four retreats in 2022 to our two-day or weekend retreats, two and a half days. And the second two are five days. And the, the fourth one, the culmination is in Costa Rica in October of next year. So oh. the thrivingleadercollaborative.com is where you find out all about that. And that's what I was talking about with this it really is an immersive situation mm-hmm. for leaders. Yeah. Yeah. You're the second person that I heard was having a retreat in Costa Rica. One just happened this past October. So you're the second person. So I'm like, Costa Rica, I need to be in one of these retreats. Well, don't we all? So they, when you said, how do you recharge? Let's recharge. Let's break away from our workspace and let's go somewhere else with some like-minded others, leaders, and let's learn some new skills and recharge. It's time for that. I feel very strongly that it's time for retreats to, to be what uh, people turn to. Yeah. And I think it will be coming up to be um, a standard because yeah, like you said, I think we all need that recharging. And I think more people are liking the space where you are with like-minded people and people that you can learn from and kind of have that sense of community. So I think retreats are really on their way to really becoming popular for less of, you know, lack of a better word. I don't want to say popular like that, but you know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, I agree. And necessary. Yes. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, Terry, thank you for taking your time out to be with me on Trina talk. I enjoyed speaking with you. Thank you, Trina. I am. I enjoyed your challenging questions. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you did. Cause yeah, Yeah. they're always, uh, uh, icebreaker type of thing. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate it. And all the other nice questions that you ask along the way, that, that probing questions to help me kind of share with your listeners and hopefully everyone learns Yeah, something. I want to thank my guests for being on the show and I want to thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show and don't forget to tune in next week.